Hi, I'm Adam Walker, the host of Real Pink, a podcast from Susan G. Komen. Over the last year, I've had the opportunity to meet so many people affected by breast cancer. I've interviewed thought leaders, celebrities, doctors, and men and women living with breast cancer. Their stories are so inspiring and really informative. We're taking conversations from the doctor's office to the living room. Please join us by looking up Susan G. Komen's Real Pink on your podcast app and subscribe today. And welcome to the best part of the week, folks. We put a wrap on our week of shows here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We call it Freeform Friday. We welcome you to this little program. Chris goes on to the World Wide Web and goes on to our Twitter page at twitter.com slash unscriptedmc. He looks for things that people are talking about. Chris determines which ones we are going to talk about. We banter back and forth and we go on to the next topic. A great way to end a great week of shows and having said all that, you know the routine by now. I hand the microphone over to the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Fluke. Well, thank you so much. Uh, but we're going to take a look uh, to start off the week at who the XFL has announced as the new coach and general manager for the Houston franchise in the XFL. I'm well, and the resume doesn't look bad. So I'm going to read the resume. You can see if you can guess who this is, okay? The okay. resume doesn't look bad, although it doesn't include my favorite part. But anyway, uh, okay, resume. 34 years of coaching experience, 11 years in the NFL. Atlanta Falcons head coach, 1994 to 1996. Jerry Glanville is the coach? Of the... No. Okay, thank God. No. And offensive coordinator, 91 to 93. Um, 112 and 84 career record as a college head coach. Sports Illustrated and Sporting News College Coach of the Year, 1999, and a four-year uh, career as an NFL quarterback in Atlanta. Now, none of that includes my favorite part of this guy's resume, and that, of course, is the uh, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. June Jones. Oh, is yeah. Is the new coach of the Houston XFL team and general, and general manager, manager. The guy who thought that Johnny Manziel was going to be the greatest quarterback in CFL history before he'd played a game is going to lead and make decisions and think for the Houston XFL team. Wow. Unbelievable. June Jones. Jesus Christ. What a retread. Um, <laughs> you know what? In today's politically sensitive times and politically correct times, yeah. I'm going to start calling everyone a retread. Yeah. That is a... <laughs> That works on so many levels. I can't believe... I mean, right. now, since the end of the CFL season, at the end of the CFL season, last November, a season won by the uh, Grey Cup champion Calgary Stampeders, yuck, um, June Jones was the head coach. But then the owner, I can't remember his name, of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, he decides to demote... June Jones to associate head coach and a bring in former all CFL defensive back Orlando Steinhauer as the new head coach. At the end of last year, Jerry, uh, excuse me, uh, June Jones was the head coach. Jerry Glanville was his defensive coordinator. Well, all that's gone. And obviously June Jones didn't like taking the demotion if you will to assistant head football coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL so now he resurfaces again this guy was once the head coach as Chris mentioned of the Atlanta Falcons one time for two different stints was the head coach at the University of Hawaii was also the coach as he tried to resurrect at one time the uh, head football coach of the SMU Mustangs um, this guy's been around more times than you know a, a hooker on on payday when the the military when the when the marines are coming into Subic Bay in the Philippines. This guy's been around more corners than well. I'll I'll let you fill in the blank, but I can't believe that this guy keeps getting a job somewhere. He's supposed to be such an innovative offensive mind, and yet he can't keep a job. Is the XFL that desperate? I mean, last yes. week. Okay. <laughs> Chris, Chris just answered my question, and I was going to go to the point. If they're hiring uh, June Jones to be the head coach and general manager of Houston, last week, if you remember, they hired 
Inside linebacker coach from Green Bay, Winston Moss, as the new head coach and general manager of the Los Angeles team in the XFL. I mean, there isn't some more quality garbage available out there. What's going on here? You've got all these coaches that have just lost their jobs in the uh, Alliance of American Football League. Yeah. I mean, Steve Superior is still out there. He could probably coach somebody. He'll go down as the winningest coach in the Alliance, <laughs> the history of the Alliance of American Football with eight wins and one loss. He's the all-time winningest coach in the AAF. But June Jones? My God. Here's a guy that would play second, second banana, obviously, if he was a head coach in the NFL, to even our own famous butt-chin guy, uh, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien in Houston for the NFL team in town. I am so disappointed. I don't know who the coach or the uh, owner is of the Houston team in the XFL, but I'm telling you right now, it is legal. It is legal. The death penalty is legal in the state of, of Texas. This guy should be put in the electric chair, and I'm being facetious, but I'm just saying that is such a reach. There isn't a better qualified coach out there in the world of coaching football than June Jones to be your head coach of the Houston team in the XFL. There's one big black mark against the XFL in my in my opinion. I'm just waiting for... Uh, some team to have, hey, new head coach and general manager, John Manziel. That's what I'm just waiting for. But anyway, Well, you on. might as well bring Mike McCarthy in here pretty soon as the <laughs> yeah. as the gen- head coach and general manager of some XFL team because if you're hiring for June Jones and you're hiring for Winston Moss, who's never been a head man at any level, then obviously they don't have very stringent rules and Mike McCarthy probably could fit right in in the XFL. Well, I have to say, I, I, I'm not even worried about June Jones as a head coach as much as I am as a general manager. When you say that Johnny Manziel is going to be the greatest quarterback in CFL history before he even plays a game, yeah. and knowing his history both on and off the field, well, that's just an ignorant thing to say, and I have zero confidence in his talent evaluation abilities. I couldn't agree with you more, but how dumb does this make the general manager the new of the Montreal Alouettes, Cavus, Cavus Reed, whatever the hell his name is, how stupid is this guy to give up two number ones and two active players off of his roster last year to get Johnny Menzel to go oh, from Hamilton oh to man, Montreal? How fucking stupid is that guy? Man, what a, what a trade. You and I could run a team better than that. Oh, the Hamilton GM deserves... I wouldn't uh, give two rolls of paper, two rolls of toilet, <laughs> used toilet paper to acquire Johnny Manziel, much less give up two number ones for a team that obviously needs to rebuild. The Hamilton GM should have won GM of the year Absolutely. just for that trade. For screwing, <laughs> two number one for for screwing a team in your own division. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, boy. Okay, moving on. So let's uh, see what David Roth, not, not the Van Halen lead singer, let's Thank see what God. David Roth at David underscore J underscore Roth. This is this might be one of my favorite tweets of all time. It's just so well written. So take a listen to this analogy, okay? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Being named manager of the Mets is like if there were only 30 tugboats on Earth and you'd always wanted to be a tugboat captain and there was an open position as a captain on one of those boats, but that boat is made of paper and there are wolves on it. <laughs> Mickey Calloway is the current uh, manager of the New York Mets and he's under fire on Monday because of his team who was one game below 500 going into a weekend series down in Florida taking on the Miami Marlins and we've documented many times on this program not just in Freeform Friday but in our, in our regular programming episodes as well as to how bad we hate Derek Jeter and the Miami Marlins. Well, how long is Mickey Callaway going to keep his job in New York when they went down to Florida this weekend, went down to Miami? And they had Jacob deGrom throwing on Friday. They had Noah Syndergaard throwing on Saturday. And guess what? The Mets got swept by the worst team in baseball over the weekend. I believe pretty soon, because remember, there's that agent that's running the that's running the Mets now, Brady Van, whatever his name mm-hmm. is, worked for creative artists, and now he's the general manager, which I think is a huge conflict of interest. Yeah. But I think there's going to be a managerial change very soon in um in New York with the Mets. They just the Mets with what they did in the offseason, you bring in Robinson Cano and his big contract from Seattle and they go down to Florida with two of their best pitchers 
on scheduled to pitch over the weekend and they get swept by the shitty Miami Marlins, Chris and I could put seven other guys together and we'd give the Miami Marlins a run. Well, that ties into our next tweet here. So Devin Fink at Devin Fink says, The AAA Las Vegas Aviators are drawing more fans, 96-17, per game than the Miami Marlins, 9,360. And then Empty Seats Galore at Empty Seats Pick says, One minor league team is outdrawing another big deal. Well, I'm telling you, and I said this in one of our previous just uh, last couple of episodes, I don't remember which one, but I have been to the new Las Vegas uh, AAA Stadium for the aviators dumbest name in las vegas ever but at least the girls basketball team the wnb wnba team in las vegas got one thing right and they named their nickname the aces that's just that should be a standard name in las vegas i don't give a damn but this stadium my friends is unbelievable it's the triple a home this season of the oakland athletics it's major league ready right now and that's why i had said previously on one of our editions of unscripted that the next team the next major sport i should say to make inroads to las vegas i believe should be major league baseball when you've got shitty franchises in miami tampa bay and a couple other places they aren't drawn flies and here you are with a beautiful Major League Ready Stadium, brand new. This is its first year of operation in Las Vegas. This is where Major League Baseball needs to go next. Oh, man, I don't know if you heard who the (laughs) Ottawa Senators interviewed for their head coaching position. I heard Rick Bonas. Oh, boy. How about Patrick Waugh? Yeah, I just heard that, too. Yeah, And so uh, Nick Alberga at the Golden Muzzy. I'll just show you the picture. He's got literally a picture of a dumpster fire there, a dumpster on fire. The potential of Patrick Waugh and Eugene Melnick working together. Holy fuck. And everyone on the internet was just like, please make this happen. Please. I don't ask for much. Please make this happen. Well, this, this is Eugene Melnick. It's got Eugene Melnick written all over it. Do not blame Pierre, whatever the hell his name is, the general manager, the limp dick, lame duck general manager of the Ottawa Senators. Eugene Melnick is running everything in his organization. He sells tickets. He paints the arena. He gets the ball. He gets the bags off the bus. Eugene is doing everything these days. And I think I would love to see this because I could, you could see two massive egos go down in flames together. The one thing about Patrick Waugh, he was once the Jack Adams Award winner when he coached the Colorado Avalanche. Then the next year he got pissed off at Barnaby Joe and quit. Barnaby Joe Sackick, he's the general manager of the Colorado Avalanche, one of the best in the business. And Patrick, I'm a legend in my own mind, Patrick Waugh, couldn't work with him. Then he goes back to the Quebec Ramparts of the Quebec Major Junior League, and they've done very, very well. But until... Patrick Waugh can fit his massive ego and his massive head into an entrance of an NHL arena, this would be the perfect scenario for all of us. Because A, Ottawa's still going to suck, and B, we could watch these two douchebags go down together. Oh boy, that could be really, really, could be, really fun. Be, it would be much, it would be must-see TV to watch Waugh and, and, and Melnick. Uh, Melnick together in Ottawa. Oh, man. The only thing that could make the Ottawa Senators watchable, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Anyway, okay. Let's talk about a meathead. Oh, I let's love it. Let's just talk about a fucking idiot I here. I love it. Okay, I've got two tweets about this jackass. <laughs> okay, Barstool Sports at Barstool Sports. Lamar Odom, who, oh by the way, is probably my submission as ugliest athlete. Anyway, uh, Lamar Odom claims he was so addicted to sex that he banged 2,000 strippers and watched every porn video on the internet, yeah. which is like saying you invented the question mark. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, and the other one, Deadspin, a Deadspin. Lamar Odom says he used a giant rubber black cock to pass his drug test for the 2004 Olympics, which if you don't know how that could be done, it's he basically took a fake dick and then he took his trainer who was clean and poured his trainer's urine into the bottom, was able to kind of shoot it out of this fake dick. So... Lamar Odom, ladies and gentlemen. Well, this is a guy, if you remember a couple of years ago, he almost died in a Vegas brothel. That would have been so appropriate. It wouldn't have been? <laughs> and, and with his dick falling off. Um, Lamar Odom, first of all, is not a rocket scientist, but he is an extremely talented basketball player. When he was a high school senior, and I don't remember where it was, it doesn't matter. I think it was South Carolina, but I'm not sure. He was the most highly recruited basketball player in the country. He had he had a full ride offered to him at every program that you can think of. He once 
almost enrolled at UNLV. He wasn't even smart enough to get into UNLV. And I'm smart enough to get into UNLV. <laughs> so what the hell does that say about Lamar Odom? He ends up at Rhode Island with Jim Herrick, the former UCLA coach. He had a couple profitable, good years there and ultimately went into the NBA, played with the Clippers, won a couple championships with the Los Angeles Lakers later on in his career. But this guy now is most famous for hooking up with Khloe Kardashian and hooking up with the Kardashian clan, and we know what that can do. That can just mean the end of life. And (laughs) for him to come out and say that he used a prosthetic penis to pass his urine test and do all this other stuff. And again, it goes back to what I said about 30 seconds ago. It was Khloe Kardashian that found him in a Vegas brothel. He was all coked out, and she found him naked in a brothel. And uh, I know where this brothel is, so I'm, but I'm not going to say. That's, that's just... It's in, it's in, uh, it's not Pahrump, but the other one just outside about 15 miles west of the airport. It's where the chicken ranch is. You know where I'm talking about. But (laughs) (laughs) I think that'd be the other type of brothel if there's something called the cock ranch. Right. Exactly. No. But this guy um, is just, let's just say both oars don't go into the water. Let's just say that. <laughs> Immensely talented with a basketball in his hand, but lost with anything else in his hand, including his own manhood. Yeah, He said that Khloe uh, Kardashian's vagina smells like the back of an earring, and I don't know what the back what of it... What the hell does the back of an earring smell I have no like? idea. Yeah, I mean, how dumb like is I that? Like, I used to do an analogy that I'd understand. I've, I don't, I've never smelt an, an earring. I don't know what that smells That's like. That's just then. dumb as dirt. Uh, anyway. Just dumb as dirt. All right, moving on from the really to the dumbest athletes possible, to the smartest athlete possible. Let's talk about the other side of the coin, or the other side of the earring, I suppose. <laughs> deadspin a deadspin. Probably, probably, in my opinion, probably the smartest athlete out there. Report, the Jets are hoping to get Peyton Manning as their new GM. You know, I wanted to talk about this. Chris and I were texting back and forth this week in regard to when we heard that uh, the Jets, Christopher Johnson, uh, the owner's son, the COO, Christopher Johnson, had taken it upon himself and fired Mike, Mc, whatever the hell his name is, the general manager that ran the draft. He was involved in the hiring of Adam Gaze. And now, you know, six weeks later, Adam Gaze is now the interim general manager. And what does he do on the very first day as the interim general manager? Makes a trade with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I'm trying to figure out um, who is actually running the New York Jets organization. Is it Adam Gaze? Because this guy is, is, they keep saying he's such an innovative mind, but he didn't do anything to really improve the offense that much when he was the offensive coordinator in Chicago. We knew what he did in his three years of Miami. He was one game below 500 with his overall record with one playoff appearance, but he lost that playoff appearance. Um, is Adam Gaze everything that he's all cracked up to be? Hell no. If I'm Peyton Manning and as smart as you are, and I agree that he is one of the smartest football players or one of the smartest athletes ever, you avoid the New York Jets like the plague that is a that you know we had talked about what they did in the draft and the kid from Alabama the defensive lineman Williams he's a difference maker and some of the things that they did that they did offseason wise supposedly Gaze was not on board with bringing on Le'Veon Bell especially at the price that they did ultimately a lot of things are going on but this organization is like the soap operas that you see in daytime television there is so much extracurricular bullshit going on with the New York Jets and with the resources that they have and the facilities that they have. This should be the team that is actually making inroads to overtake the New England Patriots. But then they shoot themselves in the foot with something stupid. And realistically, folks, which general manager with half a brain in his head that has some NFL experience on his resume, which general manager is going to go to New York? Now, if the Giants' job opened up, there would be a shitload of guys, I think, because the Maras run and have owned the Giants forever and ever. That's the real New York team. That's the real New York team, exactly right. But the Jets, they change players, coaches, administrators, front office personnel like some people change their underwear. It's so often there's no continuity there, and I think the Jets... Regardless of all the inroads they make in player acquisitions, they're still 
a second city joke in my estimation. Yeah, I'm sure the Johnsons are kicking themselves for missing out on June Jones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Or Winston Moss. Now they've got to make a desperation hire like Peyton Manning. Anyway. Peyton Manning, please, Peyton, uh, if you listen to Unscripted, please listen to us. Just avoid that. There's so many other things you could do. You could go be a broadcaster. You could go get a front office job if you needed one with the Indianapolis Colts. There's a plethora of things that you can do, but avoid New York, at least the Jets. Avoid it like the plague. Yeah, Peyton Manning uh, definitely, for me, is an exception to the former athlete rule. Correct. Very, very smart man. But, I mean, he just looks like an idiot if he goes to New York. And all of the all of the great things that he has done with his career get flushed down the toilet, and they and he becomes kind of... Null and void. Unless he makes them win a Super Bowl, then right. he looks like a genius. Well, for sure. But do you th- do you see that happening? There's a reason why the Jets haven't won a Super Bowl since 69. There's a reason why the Jets haven't been in the Super Bowl since 69. And there's a reason why the Jets haven't played in the AFC Championship for about 10 years uh, t- when they had a quarterback by the name of Mark Sanchez. You know, people give... I'm sorry, I'm going long here, but people give... What's the idiot? Uh, the Ryan brother. Uh, the oh, one that Rex was the coach, Rex Ryan. People always are laughing at him about he looks like you know Fred Flintstone on steroids and all this other stuff. But you know what? You take the New York Jets to two successive AFC Championship games with Mark Sanchez as yeah. your quarterback. Yeah, you aren't that stupid. No, I like Rex Ryan. What a nice guy. Multiple time winner of uh, voted by the players of the guy that you would like to play for the most. And. When he's on ESPN on Sunday mornings with their pregame show, he is very intelligent and really says some intelligent things. Yeah. It doesn't become a scream fest like it does on NFL no. Network between Michael Irvin and Deion Sanders. Uh, Rex Ryan says what's on his mind, and you know what? He's pretty damn smart. Yeah, well, he's really known as a player's coach, which generally means you don't have that big of an ego, or right. else it'd be hard to do that. So, yep. anyway, okay, Ted Berg at OG Ted Berg. What sports city is the easiest to hate? And I'm just going to say, is there a way to make the case for anyone other than New York or Boston? Philadelphia. Philly, okay. Sure. Philadelphia sports fans, um, they are some of the most passionate, also, some of the stupidest. Uh, same thing falls in line, I believe, with Boston. I think New York fans, you know, in the world today that we live in, New York is one is probably up there as, well, we know it's the media capital of the world. We know that it's one of the most recognizable cities in all of the world. It's up there with, you know, the Beijings and the, and the other, the Londons and, and the other big cities of the world. No question about it. But except for the Yankees, and it's been a while for the Yankees now too. It's been uh, since 2010 or 2012 for the Yankees. That's a long time for the Yankees to not have won a championship. But outside of the Yankees, what in the hell has New York had to celebrate the last number of years? In the early 2000s, they had the two runs by the Giants for two Super Bowl wins. But since we got into the 20-teens, The city of New York has had nothing to really get excited about. The Knicks have sucked since 73. But if you're asking me which fan base needs to have their collective asses kicked, I'd start with Philadelphia, then I'd go to Boston, and then third, I'd probably, you may find this funny, but I'd I'd go Philly, I'd go Boston, and then the third city I'd like to kick their ass is Los Angeles because... There is such, and and I lived in Los Angeles for five years. I worked as an unpaid intern for the Lakers, and that's why there's the connectivity between me and the the Lakers and my love of the Lakers. But the Lakers and the city of Los Angeles, they've done nothing. Since the 2012 and the 2014 Stanley Cup runs by the Los Angeles Kings, the city of Los Angeles has done nothing. Their fans show up when they want to. They leave when they want to. At least the cities that I mentioned as as cities that like to kick their asses, at least their fans show up and they support their teams. They are the greatest amount of bandwagon jumpers in Los Angeles, and it's a crime. You have great individual players in the city of angels, as they like to call themselves, and the Los Angelinos and all the other names and all the other monikers that they give themselves out there in the Southland. But you've got the best baseball player in the world right now and Mike Trout out there. You've got 
some really good baseball players with Cody Bellinger and uh, Corey, uh, the shortstop, Corey Seager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Hopefully someday you've got, hopefully you get something to augment LeBron James and make the Lakers prevalent again. But here's the sad thing, folks, and I'll end this little diatribe on this note. Of all the teams right now in Los Angeles, which one is is best run right now? Just take a guess. And in, I'll, in any sport? In any sport. Which one is the best run right now? Of the four professional teams that we are the sports that we kind of concentrate on in Los Angeles, which organization is best run right now? Dodgers? No, nah, not even close. Los Angeles Clippers. Oh, you think so? Well, they've got stable ownership. Steve Ballmer. Big oh. money. Okay, but what well, what about the Angels then? Artie, Artie Marino is a moron. But he's got Mike Trout. And... Well, he's got Mike Trout, but what else he got? The, the the Angels haven't been prevalent since 2002 when they won their one and only World Series championship. The Dodgers haven't won a World Series championship since 1988. That's ridiculous. Um, the Rams have never won a Super Bowl. Um, the Raiders won a Super Bowl in Los Angeles and then left for Oakland. Um, there is not a lot to get excited about in Los Angeles. And think about this. The team that's won the most championships in Los Angeles... The Lakers, they've won 16. When was the last time they won a championship? 2010. That's ridiculous. Oh, that's a shitty decade for the Lakers. It's been a terrible decade for, except for, the again, the two-year runs in 12 and 14 of the Kings, all. Now, the, the, the Dodgers have won seven consecutive NL West Division championships. What's that got them? Nothing. Um, when you sit here and think about Los Angeles... And when I make the statement that the best-run organization right now in Los Angeles is the Clippers, that's unbelievable. That's like jumping off the Hollywood sign without a parachute. I mean, think about it. A couple of years ago, they were thinking about dismantling the Clippers organization because of that moron racist Donald Sterling. And now you've got people that actually want to come they're building a new arena for the Clippers in Los Angeles. They've already got a brand new practice facility. They've got an owner that's worth over $3 billion. And all of the big ticket items in the free agency coming up on July 1st, a lot of them are looking at Los Angeles, and it's not the Clippers. Yep. Oh, excuse me, not the Lakers. It's the Clippers. Yep. Okay, Kyle Porter at Kyle Porter CBS. John Daly wheeling up to the green at a major with a SIG in one hand, his putter in the other, and a McDonald's cup in the cart. The American dream distilled to a screenshot. I loved when someone asked him at his press conference last Tuesday when Tiger Woods, when they asked him, what do you think about John Daly being able to ride a cart during the playing of the PGA Championship? And I laughed when Tiger said, well, you know, in 2008, I won a U.S. Open on a broken leg. And he walked 90 holes. If you can't physically, and remember, folks, if you didn't know this, Beth Page Black, where they played the PGA Championship over the weekend, 35 miles from downtown Manhattan, there are no carts allowed at all on Beth Page Black, the black course. They do not allow carts. Everybody that plays there, it's a public track, but everybody that plays there walks that golf course. I don't believe that John Daly should have been allowed to bring a cart onto Beth Plage Black. If he can't walk, he don't play. And part of the problem is John Daly, and I saw him on his cart with his McDonald's and his pack of smokes and everything else. John Daly looks, and he's looked like this pretty much since he won back at Crooked Stick in Indianapolis in 1991. John Daly looks to, he needs to lose about 100 pounds and take some of that pressure off of his knees. And if you're playing in one of the four major championships in professional golf, you should be walking just like everybody else. Fuck off, John. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It's and it's not like he's got some you know condition he was born with. He's yeah. ju he's just a lazy sack he's of shit. He's just a lazy sack <laughs> of shit that doesn't work out, and all he does is keep getting fatter. All right, well, speaking of golf, here we've got the onion at the onion. Callaway 9-Iron, once again named Golf Digest's best club for smashing in cheating X's windshield. <laughs> when Tiger Woods was busted by his wife in 2008, it was a 9-Iron that went through his Cadillac Escalade. And uh, I don't know if it was a Cal it was a Callaway or what it was, but it was a 9-Iron that, that uh, his Swedish wife, Elin Nordegren, put through his window of his black <laughs> SUV. 
Um, you know what? <laughs> I was surprised that Tiger Woods did not. I'm not surprised he didn't win this weekend. I'm surprised though he didn't make the cut. Yeah. And I'm, but I think what happened here is two things, twofold. First of all, he played no no competitive golf for the last month. He played no competitive rounds between Augusta and Beth Page Black this weekend. He played no competitive rounds at all. Second of all, I do believe that the lawsuit that was filed against him last week, just before PGA Week started, the guy that got that worked as a bartender at his restaurant in Jupiter, Florida, he died in a car accident over the weekend, and he was hammered. And they said that it's because of his drinking excessively. He was an alcoholic, had some problems with drinking and driving. But the Woods, Woods and his girlfriend, who was the manager of that place, kept him and employed there. And a couple of nights before this tragic happened, this tragedy happened, Tiger and his girlfriend were drinking with this guy. But I think with the non-playing, I think with the enormous up and down of having to walk over 70, almost 7,600 yards of Beth Plage Black, and then this lawsuit all played a role and Tiger was not ready for this weekend. I think he'll be much better prepared when we reconvene in three weeks at Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open. Well, it just shows it's more important to be battle-tested than rested, as Correct. they say. Absolutely. Right. Okay, Katie Linendahl at Katie Linendahl. Every pizza is a personal pizza if you try hard and believe in yourself. Wow. That's really, that's really <laughs> astounding. That's, that's, yeah. I, you, you know what? I wanted to bring this up because I was wondering... I recently figured out what my favorite pizza place is in the world. I have to say, and it's right here in Calgary. There's a place downtown on 10th called Michael's. Really? And it's my favorite pizza, I have to say. And I want to say... Michael's, never heard of it. I hate the whole trend with, you know, authentic pizza, super thin crust, super skimpy toppings. Oh, I got... Oh, I got two little circles of mozzarella on the whole pizza. Oh, it's authentic. Fuck you. Right. I want lots of... I like everything on pizza. There's right. nothing I don't want on my right. pizza. I like every single topping you can possibly find, put on my pizza, and then an ass load of cheese and extra sauce. Right. That's what I want on my go pizza. Go big or go home. Yes. That's pizza to me. Right. I don't care what someone's making in a cave in Italy somewhere. Right. I don't give a shit if all they put on... They have margarita, and if you can only skimp some cheese and some parsley, and that's it... I don't care. I know what pizza is to me, and I know what I want. And we were going out for pizza recently, and we were trying to think, where should we go? And uh, my brother-in-law, George, was saying, okay, well, there's this place downtown. So I looked it up, and I saw the pictures on the internet, and I said, yes, that's what I want a pizza to look like. Looks good, and it was even better than it looked. Crust was perfect. Sauce was perfect. Oh, just spectacular. I think we had the Michael's special, I think. Love, love, love it. It's a sit-down place, just a little family-run place in uh, on 10th downtown, and I just absolutely love it. Uh, what is your favorite pizza anywhere in the world? And maybe some other highlights if you don't have just one or whatever. Like, I've got some honorable mentions I'd like to say. What do you think? Um, In Wisconsin, growing up, there was a, a, a pizza chain that originated in Madison, Wisconsin, on the University of Wisconsin campus called Rocky Rococo's. And that was a deep dish, kind of a Chicago style. But that's still, and I and, and I haven't been in Madison long term for over 30 years. Uh, but I remember Rocky Rococo's vividly in Wisconsin. They tried to make it a franchise and it never worked. It was a singular place a lot like Michael's on 10th when I was first introduced to it when I was about seven or eight years old in Madison, Wisconsin, and I thought it was the best pizza. And part of me still believes it's the best pizza. There is a place called Metro Pizza in Las Vegas on Decatur, on the corner of Decatur and Flamingo. That is unbelievable. When I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, I drove to the other side of town to get Metro Pizza, and I drove it back to Jack and Sharon's house. I love Metro Pizza. Um, there was a place in San Antonio. I can't remember the name. It had a Mexican background, but they made a Mexican pizza, dude, that was unbelievable. It was like a taco, but it was just... <clears throat> the pizza that I like best in Calgary, and I'm going to try Michael's because I'm still looking for a place in Calgary. I have never found a place in Calgary that I... I love pizza, and I've tried you know, all of them, but... A couple weeks ago in Martel Loop, 
Papa Murphy's Pizza from the States finally made an appearance oh. in Calgary. And I like Murphy Papa Murphy's for the simple fact that you can dictate what goes on the pizza. You can dictate the size of crust you want, and then you take it home and bake it in your own oven. Oh, it's like Yellow Submarine Correct. growing up for me in Correct. Canada. I've heard about Yellow Submarine. But I am very happy that Papa Murphy's finally made it to Canada. Uh, it's a pain in the ass to get there because it's in a neighborhood. And if you have any familiarity, I know you do, but anybody that's listening that that uh, is familiar with the Martel Loop area of Calgary, it's a pain in the ass because it's a very uh, dense, populated part town, cars everywhere. Nobody has a place to park because it's all multifamily apartments and condos and townhouses and oh my. But a couple weeks ago, I went down there and fought the traffic and dude, the pizza was outstanding. So until I get to Michael's, my favorite place in Calgary happens to be a takeout place called Papa Murphy's. I've had it many times in Vegas and Phoenix, and now it's finally a franchise has finally made it to Western Canada. Hoorah, rah. Yeah. I also, by the way, I want to say two places that I hate the pizza. Yes. Uh, I fucking hate Pizza 73. Oh, I can't stand it. You're absolutely it's right. The, I think it's Pizza Pizza in Ontario and out here it's Pizza 73. And people used to always get it and call it. Like in when I was in Mount Royal in Res, people would always get it. I'm like, why are you getting this shit? I know a guy who is severely lactose intolerant. The only pizza he can eat is Pizza 73. So I don't know what that is on there. It's not cheese. I don't know what it is. It's something that he mm. can handle. Anyway, and the other one I don't like is Coco Brooks. And I know that might be controversial. Most people love Coco Brooks. I think they skimp on the sauce. I think they have a weird crust. And the owner is a fucking psychopath who uh, is obsessed with Jesus. And it's really, really weird. But anyway, I don't like Coco Brooks at all. And a lot of people seem to love it. I've only had Coco Brooks once. And it was involving something, a fundraising thing in regard to my daughter's dance company. So that was my only exposure to Coco Brooks. I wasn't a big fan of the pizza. I liked the dessert that came with it. Oh yeah, it's a chocolate chip. It's a cookie. chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, I yeah. think they've got. I think that's pretty. That good, was actually. the highlight for me in regard to Coco Brooks. I'm getting tired, and I will not order anymore from the quote unquote chain restaurants. Yeah, meaning the Pizza Huts, yeah. the Domino's. I can't stand those cheap fuckers because they put too much sauce. I like a little sauce. I oh, don't yeah. like it mm, swimming I, I in like, sauce. I, I like well, a no, ton. I get that. If it's a thicker crust pizza, I like a little sauce. But they. It seemingly is always too much or too little. The ingredients are never enough. And the delivery guys are idiots. And it comes cold every time. I've always got to put it in the oven or the microwave so I can eat it once it gets home. And so I have not ordered from a Domino's, a Pizza Hut, or anything like that in the last two or three years. There's so many really cool pizza places now that you don't really have to. Uh, I was at a charity poker tournament recently. And what they did was uh, out in Bear's Paw, mm -hmm. just outside the city, at some guy's mansion and it wasn't even in his house it was in his massive gigantic garage with however many doors and we were in there and they actually paid to have i think it was bonus sarah came and literally brought a truck with a trailer there and they made the pizza right there in the driveway and then brought it inside Ooh. and it was and it was really really good pizza i liked it a lot it's the style i like it was similar to michael's um and it and it was really good i'm i like i mean pizza hut and Domino's and all that like Usually there's average. Um, there's a, a Papa John's right just out our back door here, and I mean all that stuff. It's okay. Like I mean, uh, I I think it's fine, and it's certainly better than those ones I hate by far. Right. But uh, yeah, it's not. It's not like Michael's, and I'm sure there's some other ones. The one honorable mention I want to give. It's not that I love the pizza that much. It's good, but uh, the place that is unofficially known as Secret Pizza in the yeah. Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. Right. Right. Like it doesn't have a yeah. name. Right. There's no directions how to get there. You have to find it. It's a very skinny hallway. And uh, one of my favorite things to do in the world is go down there, go to Secret Pizza, grab a couple gigantic slices, go back up to our balcony at the Cosmo, nice. knowing there's no OJ in the building, <laughs> and sit on the gigantic balconies, look over the Bellagio fountains, put our feet up, mm -hmm. put on some music, and just sit there and look at the lights of the strip. And uh, I, I just I could I just do that, that all night. Oh, yeah. I, just, I could do that. Oh. I know we got to run, but I, I, as you mentioned Bear's Paw, I got I to gotta tell you about a story. Please. Bear's Paw is in the deep northwest territory, near, north, neath, northwest corridor of the city. And I had a terrible experience years ago at the Bear's Paw Golf Course. Hmm. Um, it's a good track, but there are nothing but prima donna assholes playing it <laughs> and nothing but prima donna assholes running it. The reason I make mention of this, it's very, very private. 
all of the people, all the membership dues were paid. They were all due by March the 1st. So all people that were renewing their memberships at this ultra-private club had to pay their dues by March the 1st. You know what happened last week at Bears Paw Country Club? They're broke and they closed their doors and they're not refunding anybody's oh, membership. Lawsuit. Oh, absolutely. Lawsuit. But I am so happy that that prima donna prick place full of assholes and egomaniacs, they have nowhere to play this year. Oh, that... Bears Paw closed their doors. Yay! I, I love that. That's like when that uh, the club uh, called Desperados in Calgary closed down six months after I put a magical curse on it because they, they kicked me out because I was showing my shoulders and my shoulders are bigger at the time than they are now. Right. And uh, I was, that was when I was working out six days a week. Well, how the hell are they not going to show? Your arms are so fucking big. There's no shirt big. <laughs> well, you know, I've been really slack the last two years, I think, and I'm just working on, I, I really want to hit it back hard and, and put on some muscle again. So I'm going to work on that. I'm, I'm working on a really uh, sort of detailed plan right now. But anyway... So they kicked me out because I was wearing a like sort of like I'm wearing now, like a sleeveless, yeah, yeah. and that's it. Everything else was fine, but I was but I was my sleeves were showing. But the reason I was there like this, it was called Uncensored Sundays. So it was supposed uh, to be anything else. There was literally a girl dancing on the bar wearing nothing but saran wrap, naked, yeah. wearing nothing but saran wrap. Other guy, tons of guys were walking around with their their shirts on, like an unbuttoned shirt showing their abs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm showing just my shoulders, and they kicked me and out. They kicked you out. So I put a curse on it, and six months later it was closed, and I felt like you did yeah. with, with this golf course. I was like, yes, suck it. I love it. Monty Balderson is his name, who sits on the Bears Paw Country Club Board of Directors, confirmed the club emailed members last Wednesday to notify them of the decision. Fucking stupid. Balderson like... said it was a, quote-unquote, a private matter and would not comment further on the impact for employees or for members who have already paid their dues wow. for this year. So go suck it out there at Bears Paw. You wouldn't let normal good people on your golf course. Now anybody can get on your golf course because <laughs> there's nobody out there to stop you. So uh, I was very happy to see that one of the real asshole places in this city has now closed its doors. Oh, I love that. And I, I hope he gets sued back to the Stone Age. But uh, this is something that's near and dear to both our hearts. I'm just going to reword the tweet a little bit here. But the Gambler's Report at Gambler's Report, with sports gambling now spreading nationwide, some have a different opinion now. Do you think now this will help lead to Pete Rose being elected into the Hall of Fame? I know we want him to be, but will this help lead to that as it becomes uh, just kind of second nature that, yeah, sports gambling is legal like it should have been decades ago? Is this going to help? I know we want it to, but will it help Pete Rose's cause? I'd like to say yes, but I don't think we should be having this conversation anymore because Pete Rose, with his 4,256 career hits, should already be in oh, the Hall yeah, of Fame. Obviously. And his biggest problem is he's a lousy gambler. Um. Bart Giamatti handed this suspension down in 1989 and then six weeks later died. And nobody, including, including Bud Selig, when he was the commissioner for 25 years, or newest commissioner Rob Manfred, have the balls to take this issue on. I don't care what Pete Rose has done in the past or what Pete Rose is doing now, but if you want to have a true Hall of Fame, a true Cooperstown Hall of Fame, uh, baseball Hall of Fame, it's got to include Peter Edward Rose in it. There's no question about it. As I said to you many times on this program, and, you, and I hope that you remember and listen to this, but watching Pete Rose schlep autographs in a hallway at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas is a goddamn disgrace. And one of the greatest baseball players of all time, all time, should be in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose never took drugs like our friends Rafael Palmero and Roger Clemens and Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. The list goes on and on. Pete Rose's biggest crime in life is that he's a lousy gambler. And, you know, he didn't have good people. He didn't have a good bookie that kept his goddamn mouth shut. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, and that should be the end of the discussion. I hope that this helps Pete get in the Hall of Fame. But I'm telling you, folks, this suspension shouldn't have lasted more than one or two years at the most. And one of the very first things that Bud Light should have done when he got in to the commissioner's job in Major League Baseball was to reinstate Pete, Pete Edward Rose because he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. 
I just don't see how anyone could argue against that. That's just one of the stupidest things I've seen in sports, and just another stupid thing about the uh, about Major League Baseball in general. So just ridiculous. Anyway, I saw this, and I thought you might laugh at this. But anyway, a lot of people were commenting on Josh Rosen going to Miami. And so <laughs> we have former NFL quarterback and ex-ESPN analyst uh, Trent Dilfer with a quote I thought you might want to see. And um, this is from at uh, FLA Sports Buzz, by the way. But anyway, the article says about Trent Dilfer. This is what he said about Josh Rosen. The fit is perfect. That's what I texted Josh when it happened. I was like, dude, great fit. It hurts now, but you will be thankful for this. You are going to an academic system. <laughs> and that's, that's what Josh needs is an academic approach to football. Highly intellectual. A system with a lot of burden put on the quarterback. High level of sophistication in both scheme and training. That's what will bring the most out of him. Josh Rosen needs to be challenged. He needs every single day to feel like everyone is challenging him. And now all that was stupid. But now let's get to the part that I thought you would really enjoy. Mm. He's Aaron Rodgers. Oh, my God. He's basically an Aaron Rodgers clone in how they demand excellence from everybody. And he brings out and he brings out of them uh, that when you put that burden on him. And that's what the Patriot way is. And that's what they're bringing to Miami. So he said all this shit that uh, Josh Rosen is smart and needs an intellectual system and needs challenge when he's really a spoiled rich kid. He thinks that just because they hired Brian Flores that they're going to bring the Patriot way to the Miami Dolphins who are 300 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. And Josh Rosen is an Aaron Rodgers clone. Good luck sorting through that pile of horse shit. Um, there's the reason why Trent Dilfer isn't working at ESPN anymore when he says stupid shit like this. Um, I think if you want to get the real meal deal on Josh Rosen as a person and as an athlete. I think you should read Chris's unbelievably well-written uh, blog entry. I know it's on our Patreon page. Chris put it on another page as well. It was very well done, very well articulated, um, very well written. The only thing that I said, and I will stand by this, uh, when we were discussing a couple episodes ago the NFL draft, and I thought one of the real good deals made on draft weekend was the Miami Dolphins acquisition of Josh Rosen, but it was from a financial perspective. And the financial perspective was this. Josh Rosen as the 10th overall pick in the 2018 draft, obviously got a large signing bonus as part of his first, his rookie, his first rookie contract with the signed with the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals had to pay that full Signing bonus, which off the top of my head, I think was 11, 12, 13 million, something like that. And the Dolphins are getting basically a free kick at the can here. I'm not saying that Josh Rosen is the answer in Miami. I'm not even saying that Josh Rosen could make it to Miami on his own. I think he's a bit of a prima donna. I think that he manipulated people. I think that he he really... Uh, was an underperformer if you look at it this way in regard to what he had at UCLA. He had an NFL coach at his dispersal in regard to Jim Mora Jr. I think he had a lot of positives, never really took advantage of all of his opportunity when he was the quarterback in Westwood. But from a pure financial aspect, I think the Miami Dolphins made a good trade in regard to they're not on hook, on the hook for a lot of money in regard to kicking the tires on Josh Rosen. Listening to the episode the other day, I have to amend one thing that I said, and I'll amend it right here. I agree with Chris now, having listened to what I said, I do believe that Fitzsimmons or Fitzpatrick or whatever the fuck his name is, the guy with the beard, will be the starting quarterback week one of for the Dolphins against the Baltimore Ravens. I totally agree with that. But I think that this was a good trade in regard to at least taking a you know, let's take this car out for a spin and see if there's anything worthwhile because you're only on the hook for $3.65 million over the next three years in regard to Josh Rosen, and that's what I meant by the trade. I personally think Josh Rosen needs to be taken out in the back alley and the shit kicked out of him. I think that he was from a privileged family. He never really worked hard for anything in his life, and this is my opinion, and I think ultimately we saw that last year, but very difficult circumstances last year for him in Arizona. First NFL team, 10th overall pick. He's in there with a lame duck general, excuse me, a lame duck offensive coordinator that got switched out at, at uh, midseason. They went from Mike McCoy 
to uh, the former quarterback, Byron Leftwich. There's another change in offensive coordinators. So I'm trying to be as politically correct as I possibly can be that there have been some hurdles for Rosen to overcome. I just don't know if he's got the, the chutzpah to do it. Chutzpah, that's a good Jewish yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. It's a good Jewish word. Yeah, yeah. Vince McMahon uses that all the time. I know. Anyway, uh, he, holy shit, do I ever disagree with this. Holy... <sighs> Okay, NBC10 Boston at NBC10 Boston. Mm -hmm. And this was not a survey ranked by them. It was some travel company called Big 7. Yeah. Boston accent ranked second sexiest in America. Are you kidding me? That is so freaking stupid. It sounds Pocket like a bunch of... in the yard. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like a bunch of trained monkeys just getting uh, their first acclimation to the English uh, language. Are That's sexy? It sounds stupid to me. Yeah, what do you think was number one? Philly, no, New York, Texas. Oh, yeah. At, at least uh, Texas girls, I can, probably, yeah, I, can I, mean, I can live and, with that. You know, and you know, Texas was its own independent state originally, yeah, and yeah. and they do things a little different down there in Texas. I've lived in Texas, but uh, sexy Boston, no, it's, like, sorry, I no. thought that was a joke. That's I, a, I, I believe, yeah, I, I I believe that's a typo. I, I think dead last was Long Island, I believe. Which is that a, makes sense. That makes sense. That actually. makes sense for sure. Okay, so uh, you might need to tell me more about this guy because I don't know him. But Deadspin at Deadspin says, enjoy or actively loathe true psycho Chris Paddock while you still can. I have no idea about who Chris Paddock. Oh, okay, is. San Diego Padres. No, I have no, no idea. No, yeah, no, problem. no idea. Okay. okay, for the win, it for the win. NBA fans are not happy about having Reggie Miller and Chris Webber calling the Raptors Buck series. Um, well, see, we don't get that up here because the, the Raptors have obviously contractual obligations with uh, Sportsnet and TSN up here. So we're getting uh, Matt Devlin and either Jack Armstrong on TSN or Leo Routens on uh, Sportsnet Canada. So um, I personally don't have much axe to grind with Reggie Miller. I can't stand Chris Webber. Chris Webber comes off as a know-it-all, but here's the problem. He never even led a team beyond the night, but beyond the 2003 Sacramento Kings. And if you remember, this is what I was talking about a couple episodes ago in regard to Jane, or excuse me, Robert Ory making big shots. And if you go back to 2003, he made a big shot that eliminated the Sacramento Kings in Game Seven of the 2003 Western Conference Final that led the Lakers to the third successive championship in the early 2000s with Kobe and Shaq. Chris Webber was highly recruited obviously part he was the signature piece of the fab five of the michigan kids that went to two final fours in a row but then lost both years once to duke and i can't remember who it was to the other team doesn't matter they didn't win chris weber has done nothing in his career in regard to winning championships neither has reggie miller but reggie miller doesn't come off as a know-it-all like chris weber um I can just say this, Reggie Miller took his Indiana, Indiana Pacer teams a lot farther and a lot deeper Eastern Conference runs than Chris Webber ever did as a member of the Sacramento Kings, Golden State Warriors, Orlando Magic, and any other team that he could hook on to at the end. I'm not a fan of Chris Webber, and uh, I agree with the fan that has nothing good to say about Chris Webber. The bigger problem is, and this is not a shot at my friend Ryan, but Ryan always likes to talk about the mistakes that Bob Cole makes during a hockey broadcast. Well, let me tell you, Ryan, I don't know if you have the, uh, the ability to listen to Marv Albert, the guy with the terrible toupee that's calling as the lead. He's the play-by-play -play man on TNT's broadcast. He screwed up so bad the other day that Bob Cole, who's a hockey guy, would laugh at Marv Albert for his basketball mistakes. So even at the highest level of broadcasting, mistakes happen. Uh, here's some breaking news from since we started this episode. So we did get an update here. So Ian Rappaport at Rap Sheet 36 minutes ago. Uh, sources, uh, Reuben Foster is believed to have suffered a torn ACL plus additional damage. The injury has been described as major and significant. Well, it's always sad to see somebody get injured, especially a debilitating uh, injury as that sounds. I mean, in what I heard this morning, that uh, he couldn't even leave the field. He couldn't even get carted off the field until they put his leg in an air cast. So that told me right there that his season is in jeopardy. And obviously by this uh, update from Ian Rappaport, who is very knowledgeable and well-connected insider for the NFL Network, 
uh, it's safe to say that Ruben Foster's season is done. Onion Sports Network at Onion Sports. Heinz introduces new quick recovery sports ketchup. So basically like Gatorade ketchup. They're just joking. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay. I like Heinz ketchup. Do you? I've never liked ketchup. That's a... You know, there are some things that, uh, and I think this goes back to a lot of what they call MREs in the military, which are meals ready to eat. Um, the only way you could digest those bad boys was with a lot of ketchup because uh, meals ready to eat are in the field packs and there's no microwave or oven. You just hit the pack itself and the and the the meal comes out and they're trying to portray it as bacon and eggs or something but it comes out as this yellow or gray just looks like gruel and so all i can say is thank god for ketchup okay i think the last tweet i want to go with here yeah and i i don't have it in front of me right here but it was from uh, espn drunk at espn drunk <laughs> Which was so basically it's just a video of a guy. It looks like he ha- he's sitting in his, the stands at I think a baseball game, and it looks like he's got a sub wrapped up that he wrapped from home. So it's like you can see the sub bun, and it's like wrapped with lots of wrap. Just looks like someone yeah. made a sub and brought it to the game. Right. So then he unwraps all the cellophane, and then it's the sub bun, and then he opens it up, and all that's inside the sub bun is is uh, two little bottles of booze. <laughs> right so it's like they call it a life hack they're like oh man check out this so what uh, do you have any stories about creative ways or uncreative ways you have smuggled booze into somewhere that you weren't supposed to you had your mickey with you or something fun and you you got around it somehow oh yeah of course i do um when jack my father was the head football coach at bishop gorman high school in las vegas um my my, uh, I call her my mother, but my stepmother, Sharon, and I, uh, and this was even before Judy, but then we incorporated Judy in too once she came on board, but we used to, Sharon had this big over, this big ass purse, and we'd put a, a bottle of rum or a bottle of vodka or something, <laughs> and then Sharon would go into the women's bathroom and mix the drinks, <laughs> and uh, Vegas, this team was so bad that we had to we had to get bombed just what to team? dad's high school team oh he was the head coach at yeah, bishop yeah, gorman yeah. high school that's in right, vegas and right. the game the games were so boring because we didn't have a quarterback we didn't have an offense we had a good defense but <laughs> if we if we were lucky enough to win a game we'd win 7 to 3 and the 7 that we scored would be on a punt return or something like that we had no quarterback we had no running back we had no wide receivers but we had a really good defense um we had ultimately a left tackle by the name of uh, I can't remember his name, but he ended up going to Arizona State. He actually, Gray Rugamer was his name. He actually had a cup of coffee with the Packers Super Bowl winning uh, 31 team in New Orleans. He was a backup reserve lineman on that Packers team. But our team offensively was so challenged. And so we would sit there, Sharon and I, and we'd sneak a bottle of booze into her big, nasty, big-ass purse. And she'd go in and we'd have rum and coke or vodka and seven up or we'd have our mixed drinks and we'd just sit there and just get hammered and we'd just sit there and smile the whole time and <laughs> dad never really realized it till after the game and we had to have help getting down from the stands and then <laughs> he tried to put an end to it and uh, he couldn't do it and then when i married judy and we moved to back to las vegas judy came incorporated in the little in the little triage as well and the girls would go into the bathroom mix the drinks and come out and We'd enjoy Bishop Gorman football the best way that we knew how. <laughs> I don't really, uh, I, you know, I don't have a lot of smuggling booze stories in, but uh, it, it, it almost feels like a lost art nowadays. <laughs> like, well, you don't it is. As much. Um, you know, and, it, and a lot of that is, you know, uh, college athletics, you can now buy liquor, you know. At one time, you couldn't. And also, they check your purses when, oh, for you, sure. when you go in anywhere for sure. now. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I would imagine... You know, um, when I walked in, they probably knew that I was affiliated with the coach. And so, um, you know, because you've met Jack, we look the same. There's just a 28-year difference in age. But, um, you know, they probably knew, put two and two together and knew that I was the coach's son. So they maybe didn't bother me. I don't know what it was. But uh, by the end of the year, we became pretty famous because as each quarter went longer into the game, we'd get a little bit more sillier and we'd start laughing and giggling. And (laughs) and, uh, those were some good times. Bad football, but great games we've got to run on this and again this is kind of a momentous episode for us on this uh 350th episode 
of Unscripted. We're more than one, th- one third of the way through to a thousand episodes. And we'd like to take this quick opportunity to thank everybody that has been with us through thick and thin on the 350 now produced episodes. And hopefully, God willing, we can reach our goal someday of hitting 1,000 episodes of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, wow, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a great week, great week of shows. Uh, I liked where we started today with just right off the top of our head, didn't go by any notes or anything. We just let her fly. Started about, you know, my love of idiots in, in convenience stores. But uh, thank you very much, everybody. Um, Chris has been on, has been unbelievable through this whole process, what he has taught himself and what we have been able to accomplish because of him being able to teach himself the technical side of this little gig. Uh, we thank Greg. We thank Ryan. We thank all the players. Thank Bernie Nichols for being an integral part of these first 350 episodes. And hopefully, if I keep my head out of my ass, many, many more episodes to go. And we thank you. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Luke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time. Hi. I'm Adam Walker, the host of Real Pink, a podcast from Susan G. Komen. Over the last year, I've had the opportunity to meet so many people affected by breast cancer. I've interviewed thought leaders, celebrities, doctors, and men and women living with breast cancer. Their stories are so inspiring and really informative. We're taking conversations from the doctor's office to the living room. Please join us by looking up Susan G. Komen's Real Pink on your podcast app and subscribe today.